So thank you everybody for being here. Uh, as a quick refresher, my name is Stephen Dickinson. Um, and as Ruben just said, Pastor Tamar is out. So she, she asked me to fill in today. So you're all stuck with me. Just for right now. But in all seriousness, I, uh, it is a great honor to be able to be asked to preach again. Um, and I don't take that for granted. So thank you. So today we're going to look at one of my personal favorite passages, uh, which comes from the book of Philippians. This passage is extremely rich theologically. Um, it's packed full of moving Im- imagery of who God is, of who Jesus is, rather. Um, it asks us to think how great he is, being in nature God, and then to consider him going from that highest point down to the lowest he possibly could. Not only a human, but a servant beyond that. So, in doing that, he demonstrates to us how we humans can break this cycle, or can be taken out of this cycle of self-centeredness um, and, and self-focus. Again, this passage is phenomenally deep. There are so many things going on that you could basically make a, ser- a, a series out of it and still probably not get everything. Um, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> a, I don't have the time. I don't have the skill right now. There is a lot going on. So I'm going to focus on essentially uh, what Paul is looking for and what he wants the congregation that he's preaching to to do. So please take out your Bibles and make your way to Philippians. Um, If you're familiar with Ephesians, which hopefully we still are, uh, it's right after that. So you find Ephesians, flip right next next door. So we're going to move to uh, chapter 2 and start from verse 1. We'll read to verse 11. Paul starts, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's let's pray quickly uh, over this. Lord, thank you for your word and what it shows us. Help us to live in such a way that we reflect you. Amen. All right, so before we kind of dig into the passage uh, proper, Let's do a tiny bit of background on the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul is writing to a church that he planted uh, on one of his missionary journeys uh, in the city of Philippi. 
It's in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So he wrote it in the same general time frame as Ephesians, um, and like Ephesians, he is in prison as he's writing this. Unlike some of his other, a lot of his other letters even though, Paul doesn't really have anything that he's trying to correct with the Philippians, mostly. Um, they seem to be in pretty good shape. Um, and so a lot of what he spends his time on is encouragement. So he tells them, as he's writing through this, that he has been able to spread the good news about Jesus, and this has spurred others to do the same. But as he gets into chapter 1, um, in the mid of, middle of chapter 1, he senses that the time is coming when he's about to die. doesn't know exactly when, but he knows it's coming. And then he'll leave them without the founder, the spiritual leader that they've had since the beginning, really. And, and so he doesn't in this letter, but in other letters, he refers to himself as father. Um, basically assigning that he is that important to the church. So imagine with me for a minute that you are a Philippian. You're in a house church. You've come um, to gather together with with your fellow believers. Uh, You've had a little bit of a time to chat. You talk about various things and sundry things. uh, And someone drops the message that Hey, you know, Paul, that guy who founded our church, he just sent us a letter. And, you know, that's actually pretty exciting because you don't see this guy very often and you don't necessarily hear from him all the time. And so the service starts, you probably sing some hymns, some songs of various sorts, and then you finally get to the point where the reader uh, takes out this letter and begins reading it out loud to you. Starts out like any other letter with greetings and thanksgiving, and you're feeling pretty good about that. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Paul drops this bomb that, guess what? I'm gonna die soon. Good luck. Of course, he doesn't say good luck. We'll see in the passage that he's making provisions for them. So what are you feeling like this? You're, you've got this guy who's been with you for your entire Christian life, and he's telling you that he's out of here. Sometime or another, God's going to take him, and he's going to be gone. So in the day-to-day, it can be easy to not remember the fact that we, things are not permanent, that we are eventually, everything is physical at least, is going to pass away. And it's not going to be there forever. We all kind of know it in our minds, but as you're living, you don't necessarily think about it. But when someone drops a message like this, that yes, this is coming, you suddenly have to start thinking about it and accepting it as this is going to, this is going to happen. So you change gears a little bit. So some of the security that you felt from you know, having this guy in your life for however many years it happens to be, that goes away, a little bit anyway. You start feeling it slipping. You are fearful and anxious. Change is rarely painless. 
And that pain can be as simple and benign as getting a new phone or a new car and having to get used to it and not have the things that you have been used to. And now there's something new. It can be a little less simple, like changing a new job or just changing a different stage of life. Or it can be kind of at its hardest point when you lose someone. Sometimes change is good, but it may still come with some challenges. Uh, by a show of hands, who remembers feeling growing pains when you were growing up of any sort? Yeah. So I was having a conversation a in a, the midst of a conversation a couple weeks ago where growing pains got brought up, and it brought to mind the one time that I distinctly remember having them. I was sitting in a theater watching my brother perform in a play, and I was probably 10 or something at the time, and oh boy, it was so hard to sit still because they would just ache and ache and ache. My legs were aching this whole time, and I just wanted it to stop. Now, in retrospect, as I look back, it is probably a good thing that I had those growing pains because it meant that I grew. But it's not fun in the process. So I think one of the things that Paul may be doing uh, is he's prepping the Philippians. He's saying, yeah, I know there are going to be pains from losing me and just various pains throughout your Christian life. But here are some things that you can do um, and here are the things that will make it worthwhile in the end. So here's where we're going to pick back up with the passage, uh, going back to verse 1. So Paul, in, in chapter 1, has uh, ended the chapter with this kind of thought that uh, belonging to Christ means that there's going to be suffering, as it's a mark that you are different from the world that's around you. But he then refuses to kind of let that stand just at that, and he says... If you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship with the Spirit, tenderness and compassion. Tenderness and compassion here, your Bibles will probably say something different. Um, basically, every Bible I looked at had different verbs because, uh, words because it's looking at the Greek for a, kind of a pair of words um, that always come as a set, basically, and they just mean like a gut-level concern for something. And so... These are some of the things you receive when you join the body of Christ. And these things become a part of you. And so Paul implicitly reminds them of this, and he says, Hey, your life has been touched by Jesus. You're not the same anymore. You've got these things. And then he says, you know, I've been teaching you and acting as an example basically since you first met me. And it would make me extremely happy for you to do all the things that I've taught you. Make my joy complete, he says. How does he want them to do this? Well, he finishes the sentence saying, by being of the same mind. And then he goes on to define that. Um, if you heard my last sermon, I believe I talked about uh, how Greek sometimes has stupidly long sentences. 
Um, and Paul is especially bad at this in the sense that they go on and on and on. And there's no stopping. And so English translators, when they're dealing with it, they usually break it down into smaller, more readable sentences. And I say this because it's important, um, because it's happening again here. Uh, in being of the same mind, he's asking them to do the four things that then follow. They aren't really separate things. They're all kind of chained together under one uh, one idea. So there are these four things that he wants them to do. One, to have the same love. Two, to be united in soul. Three, to be of one mind. Four, uh, he has basically says have a different way of relating with each other than the world does and he breaks it down fully by saying uh, don't act from selfish ambition or seeking glory uh, that's empty uh, but in humility put more value on other people and consider not just the things that affect you but the things that affect them too so i want to take this quick look at them uh, love is a fundamental element of christianity it's part of god's nature and his character and so sometimes i don't we don't necessarily need to go in depth with that right now um, it's always important to talk about love but i'm not going to go very far right now uh, on the other hand being united in soul uh the greek is kind of together sold it's a weird weird phrase uh and of one mind are trickier to define and even distinguish from each other in some ways. Uh, what's helpful to remember is in the basic area and time that Paul is writing in, uh, the human person is divided into, is considered to be divided into several different sections apart from the body. Uh, your soul, your mind, and your spirit. These, these vary uh, depending on time and place, but those are a general representation of it. So the soul is kind of the seat of your emotions. The mind is where you have, do all your rational thought. Um, and the spirit is kind of the driving force and the thing that will continue on after you die. And so when Paul talks about being of one mind and one soul, he's saying that the parts that are kind of capable of being the same, get them in, in the same direction. We're looking to go in the same way. What might be helpful uh, to look at is another passage that has a very similar structure. Uh, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The same words aren't used in this passage, and so I don't really know if Paul is trying to basically quote or allude to this, pa to this passage here. But a lot of the same concepts are there, and so it's interesting to kind of compare them. What is God looking for in this commandment here? He's looking for a commitment to him with the entirety of one's being. Everything pointed toward him. And then Jesus, immediately afterward, says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's verse uh, 39, I believe. 
So when we're comparing these, your love, you might just as easily substitute heart and your thought and your soul are all to be focused in the same direction, toward God. But also the passages both say you're not just supposed to stop there, but it's supposed to affect the way that you look toward others as well. You're to consider and care for them like you would yourself. So Paul lays out this challenge or plea even to his readers saying, essentially, I know Jesus touched your lives. Now show it in the way that you relate to one another. But how do you do that? For me, um, I can't speak for you, but when I hear something like have the same love or be of the same mind, I can find it kind of hard to know where to even start. For one thing, it's pretty abstract. Um, And for another, that's asking a lot for me, a person who is inclined to look toward my own interests first and not toward others. Maybe those are familiar concerns. Maybe you feel that way yourself. Maybe not. But in situations like this, it is usually best be able to see an example of it lived out. So, let's say I go to a gym, and I have never lifted weights once in my life. And I walk into the gym and I ask, you know, I want to pick up deadlifting right now. Are they going to tell me, here, there are the weights over there, go ahead and just start picking them up. I hope not. For one thing, I could hurt myself pretty badly if I do that. So, what I expect is, sure, I'll help you. Let me show you how you do it. Here's the proper form, and now you can do it too. And your form will improve as you, as you practice, but essentially, that's what you're, what you're asking here. So Paul goes and he fits... Um, fits what he's saying into this pattern and he says this one mind is supposed to look like the mind that Jesus had. And then he goes on to to talk about it. He says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus in verse 5. And if you're going to get an example for how to live an unselfish life, Jesus is about the best you can get. In fact, is the best you can get. So Paul here is inviting the audience to do what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Jesus has done all of this beforehand, before any of us got to it. We can look at him and at his example to understand how we ourselves are supposed to do it. Verses 6, 7, and 8 illustrate what he undertook, demonstrating the other-centric nature of his ministry. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
highest being in existence was willing to become among the lowest of humans. The one that gives life died. But interestingly, in the, in the economy of heaven, as some will call it, the one that takes the position of the lowest point gets raised to the highest. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the end of the passage we're looking at today. But I left something of a thread undone that I want to circle back and tie up. What does this mean for our imagined Philippian reader or listener who is still coming to grips with the reality that Paul's about to go away? To be taken away, even. Paul won't be in their lives anymore. How do you cope? Well, we can start pulling some... I think we can look at some answers from what we've already looked at. Uh, this passage is is great um, for basically any time. It, it's helpful to indicate how we should be considering one another. But as a... As a... view on what to do when someone very important is leaving. We are going to look at it that way. The Philippians need to prepare for a life where Paul isn't there. He's not the spiritual father figure that he has been, and he's going to be gone. Paul knows that there are competent leaders who are coming afterward. Uh, He mentions a couple of them by name in the letter. But he also doesn't want them to be focused on the people who are in in charge. He wants them to focus on Jesus. So the people that God puts in our lives, who've been walking in the faith before us, and um, who have demonstrated this faith, are very important. I don't want to minimize that in any way. Indeed, Paul writes later on, uh, in Philippians, how he wants them to be imitators, of, to rather to do what he's shown them. He's an example for them. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So Paul, at least in my, I'm definitely not trying to imply that Paul would advocate shutting off um, other Christians as sources of informi- inspiration, encouragement, or leadership. That's not my point at all. But if we make those people our focal point, uh, the thing that we steer by, we're going to eventually get disappointed. Either because they do something that changes our opinion of them, or because they just, because of time, or death, or other circumstances, are no longer there. That's eventually going to disappoint us. But Paul is saying, look, Jesus is there all the time. He says in Matthew 28, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is there. He's the focal point that he wants them to be focused on and looking at. And if we're constantly looking at Jesus, as we focus on him, we cultivate a deeper and deeper love for him and for each other.
All right, and so now I'm going to bring this me- try to bring this message home. When I asked you to imagine yourself in the shoes of one of the Philippians, hearing the news of Paul's impending departure, I expect it required very little imagination. I think largely what you had to do was change some names, put different faces on it. But Caring Community Church had that kind of leader for 40 years, 40 odd years. And that was in the person of Pastor Steve. Like Paul, he and Diana had been a key element in the founding of the church and have been in leadership for, again, over 40 years. Their DNA is inside the church, really. He had presumably, in one sense, acted as a father to many people. Uh, He was offering guidance and instruction. And for some, he was the only pastor you've ever known. For decades, he performed baptisms, weddings, dedications, funerals, seemingly countless Sunday morning services. And that's not even considering hospital visits and just other simple acts of friendship. And so when he announced that he would be stepping down from his position, I have to imagine, and I can be sure actually, that it triggered anxiety in some, fear in others, and it definitely disrupted the ordinary way of life. Things would be different after that. And so when he and Diana left, a different kind of change set in where we had a search for a pastor. Again, definitely a time that's prone to make people anxious or fearful as to, you know, where we're going to go, what's going what's to come. And I can't help but imagine that there were people, rather there were times when the thought came to mind, anyone in this position would be better than no one. But even in the face of that, the board and the search committee and the rest of the church ultimately took the stand of humility saying, your will be done, not mine. And I think that in making that humility, God then looks at that with pleasure and exalts them saying, and here you've let it go. Here is your new pastor. And we have the, new, the gift of the new pastor in Pastor Tamar and Pastor Eric. And so that leads us into a new era. And that has its own set of changes, and those are going to bring challenges of their own sort, even though I dare say the change looks promising. Some of the changes and the challenges that come with that are going to be just because we're doing things differently than we have before. And that can be hard. But one thing, the thing I want to leave you with is the thought that all of the things that Pastor Steve taught that were truly important, for instance, maybe, you know, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, Fellowship with the Spirit, 
tenderness and compassion. I think you touched on all of these things, if not went into detail on them. When we do as Paul says and live as a result of those, we are then honoring not only God, who is the most important, but we're also honoring Pastor Steve. And I think, as Paul would say it, we make his joy complete. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for those who come before us, uh, whether that be Paul, whether that be Pastor Steve, or those who are with us now, uh, Pastor Tamar, Eric, uh, all of those here. We thank you for them. Uh, We thank you that... When we submit to you, you raise us up and you make us higher than we could have ever been. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Help us to focus our hearts, our minds, our spirits all toward you um, and just look for your guidance and know that, that we can honor those who came before too. Pray this in your name. Amen.